to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. For some of us, when I say the word family, there's some very positive emotions. There's some connection. It's about warmth. It's about joy. For others, there's some real pain yourself. So we're making this turn towards loving others, and we're starting with family. And if you're anything like me, uh, family is mixed. It's got so much joy and so much just loving it, and I love being a part of my family, but it can be difficult at times, right? There's certain family members that can be difficult at times. When I started my own family, I was pretty young. I was 23 years old, and my wife, Dara, raise your hand, okay? She uh, was just a little older than I was when we started. Um, Just kidding, sweetie. Um, But we were kind of on our own. We were living in Washington, D.C. at the time. I was in grad school, and we felt very alone. We had some close friends with us, but when we moved out there, my wife was five months pregnant, and so we just started grad school and didn't have a lot to go on. We were kind of by ourselves, and we uh, had grown up in good families, but when you start a family, it's a little overwhelming, especially when you're young. And I remember we read every book we could, mostly my wife. I read the Cliff Notes. And uh, we tried to take in, um, you know, everything that was being said about what it's like to parent. But you real quickly realize that it's overwhelming. And I remember we got close to the day where we were going to have PJ. And, of course, we had to do it the right way. And I was, you know, going to grad school, so... We were studying up on the Bradley method and how to do things naturally. And so we didn't go to a hospital. You don't go to a hospital. You go to a maternity center with midwives. And you wear trunks and T-shirt and flip-flops. And, you know, um, so we got ready to go. And Dara started going to labor that day. And we didn't know what to do. So I had the great idea. Let's go to a movie theater. Um, and so we went to a movie theater. As Dara was starting to go through contractions, and there was nothing really showing. So the first movie was Aliens. And uh, so there was like spawning going on all over the place. And so kind of like it like made it all rapidly go faster. And then, uh, but we weren't quite ready. And of course, they tell you, you know, go in at like the last possible moment. Like, that's what we heard. Second child, we added a hogue, by the way. Epidural, overlooking the water. I had a coffee cup in my hand. Beautiful. Wonderful. The best way to have a baby. Labor's tough on the husband. Um, the, um, so, we stayed for the first movie. And then the second movie, um, between movies, Dara would go up and down the aisle walking. I'd coach her. Good job. Take another lap. You know. 
And then uh second movie was Mr. Bean. That's all they had. It was horrible. And just at the point when Mr. Bean put the turkey on his head, Tara goes, I'm ready! So oh, let's go! Take off we go. How oh, the baby is wonderful. Tough labor for me. And uh, four or five hours later, we had this little guy, PJ. And, you know, you're, this little guy's in your arms and you're holding him. And all of a sudden, you're dad. And you're 23. And you're like, oh, my goodness. This is amazing. Overwhelming. You know, we had done all the, the practice of the car seats. You put the car seat. has to be pointed in the right direction and all this kind of stuff. So we were able to put PJ in the little car seat. And I remember driving home, and there and I remember driving home, looking in the back, and there's this little bean just sitting there looking back at us, realizing the gravity of what it means to be a family, that now we were the parents. Just a few years ago, we were the teenagers. Now we're the parents. First couple weeks in, a lot of just crying and and um, mostly me, and uh, waking up in the middle of the night, and the, the, the couple weeks in, you realize this isn't going away. <laughs> this isn't like just like a temporary thing. <laughs> We're looking at Dara going, we've got him for a long time, huh? <clears throat> she said yes. I remember in the years that kind of progressed, one turned into two, two turned into three, three turned into four, then I drew the line. Um, but after each one of them, the pressure built, the challenges built. And I remember that I started to look for examples. Because, see, you can be given all of the different steps on what's the best practices and all that. But at the end of the day, we're built to look for examples. We want to follow those that have done it. We want to see people that have modeled godly families. We want to see marriages that actually have love and intimacy in them. When we start to look, a lot of times we don't find a lot of wonderful examples. 50% divorce rates. We see a lot of trouble with kids and families. Then I started looking at Scripture, and I started getting a lot out of it, and obviously drew from my own family that I was blessed with. But I even got a little bit, and I, I want to say a chip on my shoulder, but a little bit towards God and the writers of Scripture, because you couldn't find a good example in Scripture of a family. All the guys in the Old Testament, to me, had pretty much screwed up, right? David screwed things up, great guy, but he screwed up his family, Right? Moses had problems. Adam and Eve, forget about it, right? And then you get to the New Testament. Okay, Paul, you're going to give us an example. And Paul says, stay single. Like that, thank you so much for that example, right? But then you realize, and this really for me in the last couple of weeks has been um, really transformational, is that just like everything else in our life, when it comes to being fully alive in your family, and I believe that you can be fully alive in your family, it's about looking 
at the person of Jesus Christ like everything else. That He literally gives and gave when He walked this earth the embodiment of what a family was to look like. And it wasn't a perfect family. News, there is no perfect family. There is no model Christian family. There's so many different types of family relationships. But what there can be is people that learn to be family members, that fall in love with Jesus and live within the family that God's given them and live it to the fullest. And this is the the example that Jesus gave. So our text this morning is in Luke. It's Luke chapter 2. Verses 41, starting at verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, They went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? They did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his heart and his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. We get this picture of Jesus as a boy. And it's one of the only, if not the only, passage, really, of Jesus' childhood. Um, We do get a picture that there was a godly home that he was raised in. When we hear that Mary and Joseph made it their routine to go to the temple. That they already were leading Jesus in a very godly way, following the Shema Israel prayer. If you get back to Deuteronomy, the prayer was to push and to guide your children towards the things of God. To make it almost an obsession on a daily basis. To bathe your family in the Word and in the practice of what it means. So they were doing this. But they weren't a perfect family. They would go down in this, these groups. They'd make this long trip um, down to the temple. And on the way back, they'd find themselves without their kid. Now, if you've ever lost your kid, you don't need to raise your hands. Um, but if you have, it's probably one of the most frightening things you've ever gone through. You turn around, and the little munchkin is gone. And you are just freaking out. And so we get this picture of Joseph and Mary literally 
in absolute distress. In fact, that's the word that they use. Rushing back to try to find Jesus. Just a little bit about this family. What's amazing when we hear of Jesus as a child and his relationship with his father is that from this point on, really, we start to see Jesus form his own identity. In that he is, yes, the child of Joseph, but that his real father is his heavenly father. We get a picture that he is adopted on earth, but his eternal family is with God. And he begins to understand this at a very, very young age. We also get that it's this relationship that he has with God that shapes how he interacts with his own family. That because he was in this tight relationship with God, he was able to love an imperfect family. He was able to be in submission to a couple of freaked out parents. See, Jesus could have said, look, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. But instead, he had learned what it meant to honor your mother and your father. Not because they were perfect, but because he was so in tune with what it meant to serve his heavenly father that he, it was easy for him to love an imperfect family. He demonstrates that if one will identify completely from a relationship with God the Father, they can stay completely engaged with their family. We're all from imperfect families. We are. And even if you have a fantastic family, do you realize that a great family is not enough? That Jesus had a great family. But it was not enough. He needed a relationship with his heavenly family, his heavenly father. Once we understand that, we can begin to understand the way in which we are modeled by Jesus to love others within the family relationship. But it all starts with the primary relationship of father to son. Okay, so we're going to go through four relationships that Jesus modeled. But if we only get through the first, it's the one that shapes the rest of them. And that first is the one of Jesus as child. Jesus gave us an example of being a son. Of what it means to belong, what it means to be unconditionally loved, what it means to be a son who honors, respects, and obeys. He has this intense relationship with God. We see that when he's baptized. Remember the text when Jesus was baptized and he came up out of the water. There was a voice from heaven, God's voice, that looked down and said, This is my son, and I am so pleased. And he used the word beloved. This is my beloved son. Which that word um, translated literally just means full of love, outpouring. It's my special one. This is my son. And I want you all to know it. Jesus back had the relationship of Abba. In fact, it was a new term 
that had never really been used for God. And Abba, in Aramaic, was Daddy. It was this close relationship. We see Jesus right before he goes to the cross. Say, Abba, Daddy, I'm about ready to go through this. Can you take this from me? That by the time Jesus was in his early 30s, his relationship with his father was so intense, so close, that it defined everything about him and affected every relationship that he had. Okay, so a little example of this. Okay, I have four kids. They all play sports at different levels. Okay, so my top, my two boys play water polo. Intensely competitive sport. Okay, when I talk to other parents on the deck, or I talk to some friends that talk about their kids, do you ever notice that when you talk to people about their kids, they don't just say, my kid plays a sport. That would be good. But they say, my son is an up-and-coming player playing in probably the top league in all of California, not the United States. And there's top coaches looking at them. He's already got scholarships and offers. and Yeah, but he's three years old. That just as a dad, there's this desire to see your son or your daughter as the highest, right? As the best, as unique. I admit it. When I'm watching a game, when my son's in, I'm on it. I'm watching. When he's out, I go to the bathroom, right? Why? I want him. I care about the game, but I care about my son. When my daughter paints a picture and it's hanging on the wall for an art show for her school, what? I, yeah, I see a few of the other kids, but I want to see my daughter's painting, right? That's what I want to see. The same is back for my kids. My kids actually play better when I'm there. It, it's truth. We've talked about it. When my, I'm at my kids' games, for some reason they elevate their game. They're, they see me. They know I'm there. I'm watching. They just want to see Dad. That there's this intense relationship that begins to form between a son or a daughter with their dad. Jesus literally invites us into the same experience with our Heavenly Father. That's the power of the gospel message. Do you realize that the imagery of family is not just some metaphor that's kind of disconnected from reality, but it literally is the design by which God created us to experience Him. Let me say that again. The family relationship is God's design for us as followers of Christ to experience Him. Then by extension, it's His design for us to experience each other at the best that we have as human beings to give to one another. First within our own family relationships, and then as we become a body of Christ. So when you think of an earthly family, how do you define an earthly family? It's usually by blood. Biology passes down. Or by last name. Right? Or by cohabitation. You live together. But also by destiny. Inheritance. My kids are asking me all the time, who's going to get all my money? 
so fun to tell them I don't have any. An eternal family, Jesus invites us in. But it's through the spirit of adoption. That instead of a bloodline, we're adopted through a spiritual line. Instead of a last name, we get his name. Instead of cohabitating, he lives in us through his spirit. And then we experience him where two or three are gathered. Instead of a destiny or inheritance or money, we are his inheritance. We will be with him. He actually calls us his inheritance. He's so blessed that we get to be with him. The spirit of adoption is so important for us to understand. In Romans chapter 8, Paul explains it this way. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. And then in John 1, verse 12, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you're going to understand how to live fully alive at all, but let alone in your family, you individually have to understand the spirit of adoption. That God wants you, loves you, wants you to experience him as this child that literally has nothing to give back except for your love and your affection. An example of this to me, I'm involved in a ministry in Haiti called Three Angels. And in the last year, opened up an orphanage, reopened an orphanage. There's 12 kids. These kids, by design, are the ones, the worst cases. Some that have been found in garbage bags, literally, taken to the government, or left outside on the grass in front of the hospital. And watching them come into the orphanage. I'll be there this week. And then seeing them go from these sickly, like skeletons of a body, to be full of life. And then to be adopted. First child, Gomerson. Gomerson was brought in. He looked like he was probably two weeks old, literally two or three months old. HIV AIDS. I got the call. All right, are we going to accept this one? And I prayed. Our team prayed. I was like, don't know. We don't know if we're ready for HIV. To be able to treat HIV is tough. We're going to be able to do it. We took a step of faith and we did it. And literally, last month, this couple out of, I think it was Mississippi or Alabama, a doctor had been praying for a year because they felt called to adopt an HIV child. Last month, they went down and they saw Commerson. And they will have him most likely within a year. Right? Okay. They chose Commerson. Not because of anything Commerson did. In fact, Commerson had nothing to give. Except for problems. HIV. And they chose him to be 
their child. Right? Now, Gomerson, eight months later, is like the mayor of the orphanage. <laughs> he literally runs around directing traffic. Right? And these parents will take him home. They will put on him their last name. He will be brought in as their family. I've watched as I've learned this whole adoption process. These amazing parents that adopt children. And then when they bring them in, those that I've met that love Christ, and he's the reason they do it. There's no difference between their biological and their adopted children. They treat the children as if they're their children. Sure, there's a process. It's not easy. Not, I'm not downplaying the difficulty of it. But in terms of what that child who's adopted experiences, that he has shown what it means to be a father or be a son. This is what we are to experience. If you're not experiencing it, even if you've walked with God for a very long time, it's very likely that your experience of God is still one based on transaction. Based on, okay, God, if I do well, you'll accept me. If I don't sin, you won't come down on me. Or, if I do all the right things, you'll hook me up. That you'll fall into a transactional relationship with God. And where you'll see this is in your prayer life. Because in your prayer life, if it's dry, if it's transactional, it's probably because you are not understanding yourself as a child of God. If you're understanding yourself as a child of God, you're growing in what it means to sit on Dad's lap. Because that's the way Jesus saw it. Abba, Father, Daddy. I want to experience God in this way. There's a quote. This is a book, uh, Brennan Manning, Abba's Child. read it years ago. God's love for you and His choice of you constitute your worth. Accept that and let it become the most important thing in your life. Being the beloved is our identity, the core of our existence. It is not merely a lofty thought, an inspiring idea, or one name among many. It is the name by which God knows us and the way He relates to us. But we have to believe that. The basis of my personal worth is not my possessions, my talents, not esteem of others, reputation, not kudos of appreciation from parents and kids, not applause, and everyone telling you how important you are to an individual place. When belonging to some group eclipses the love of God, when I draw life and meaning from any other source than my belovedness, I am spiritually dead. Pretty powerful words. If you're feeling dead spiritually at all, I would begin to point you back to this very simple charge that Jesus gives us to become like a child so that we can experience Him like our Father. So what can this do in your individual relationships with your parents? Let's just start there. If 
you're a son or your daughter. I think it's your charge to learn first how to love imperfect parents. A lot of us have different types of relationships with our parents. And this first step is to experience God to your Heavenly Father. So like Jesus, you can learn to honor your parents. Even if you have a difficult relationship, you can honor them. You can love them. You can forgive them. Forgiving your parents will free you in life. Hear that. It will allow you to begin to experience things differently. You know, if you forgive your parents, you love them, and you honor them, your identity can become more about who you are in God than who you think you were supposed to be to your parents, even if you're not in close proximity to them. A lot of you are still living out what you think your parents have told you you should be or reacting against what you think your parents thought you should be. At some point, every one of us have to come into that understanding that we can love imperfect families just like Jesus did. It rolls over, <laughs> not just with parents, but to siblings. So Jesus was a brother. He had brothers, he had sisters. And they weren't perfect. In fact, they really didn't understand Jesus. They didn't get him. He was kind of most likely that one that was too good to measure up. Ever had one of those in your family? In fact, we find that they kind of got frustrated with him. He would go out and do things in town. And they'd say, can you kind of stop people getting upset? But what Jesus learned is he learned again, because I am loved by my beloved father, I can love my siblings. And over the course of his life, Jesus took care of his siblings. Most scholars think his dad died when he was a teenager. So he became the older brother. He worked. He paid for his younger brothers and sisters to eat. He cared for them. He did that for the majority of his life. And he loved them. And by the time he was done, most people think that they looked at him and said, you know what? That is the Son of God. A lot of people think that James, his brother, wrote the book, James, who didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Because that's really hard to do when the guy sleeps next door to you. But after Jesus left, knew that was him. In your sibling relationships, that's tough. Sibling relationships are tough. But God used that term closer as a brother. Why? Not because you're going to have a perfect relationship. But again, if you have a relationship with your Heavenly Father, you can freely love your siblings. Not for what they give you, but because you were accepted by God. All right, another one. Jesus as spouse. That's an interesting one. See, you're never married. I thought again, okay, well, I can get insight from God. Jesus' is son, brother, but really didn't know how to be a husband. But then you look at the entire framework that Paul gives. And Paul literally gives Jesus as the model husband. He began to 
formed such intimacy with the church that he saw them as his bride. Do you ever notice how Jesus treated women? When Jesus loved women, they would come to him in their imperfection. The woman that washed his feet, there was intonations of, of sensuality in that story. And how did Jesus respond? In purity. Not needing anything but being able to love him. See, I've seen this a few times in marriage relationships where there's not manipulation back and forth. And obviously in one sermon we can't talk about every relationship. But I want to point to how powerful intimacy with Christ is. Because see, if you get this thing with yourself as son or daughter, with with God your Father down, it frees you up in every relationship. And Jesus was so intimate with His Father, He was able to love freely. I have a friend named Mike Goldstone, <laughs> one of my mentors. He owned the company I used to work for. And his wife and him probably have one of the closest intimate relationships I've ever seen. Almost a little too much sometimes. Um, but amazing. Amazing followers of Christ. But you ask his wife, how do you guys have it? And there's no simple formula. Yeah, they point to a couple books. But you create a thousand of them and you still might be stuck. He says, you know what? I don't. I can count on one hand in 30 years how many times Mike has not spent significant time with Jesus in the morning. And I just heard that as an early husband. Blown away. That out of all the things that you'll hear in how to be a husband, that the one thing that his wife said was, yep, he has a radical, intimate relationship with Jesus. Mike will lay on the floor and look up and just start talking to the ceiling, but talking to God as his daddy. And you see how what that does in his relationship with his wife is when he is in that place with Jesus, he does not put the burden of full intimacy on his wife. Because your wife can never be enough. Your husband can never be enough. Your kids can be never enough. You will never be able to have enough from your family. You've got to get it directly from the source. Then lastly, Jesus gave us the model of being a father. So, when Jesus was leaving, and he knew he was going to go, the way that Jesus prayed for his followers were as kids. His entire example was, follow me, do what I do, watch what I'm doing. It was not, here's the ten steps to success. It was, be close to me, watch me, do what I'm doing, and then now you can do it. That was the way that he taught as a father. We have a massive crisis right now in our world and even in our church on how to raise kids, on how to build families, on how to nurture, how to raise others in the body. One of the first questions I asked to Darren when I came on a few months ago, I said, hey, point me to a few families. Where are the ones that are modeling this? I want to see who they are. I want to know them. 
so that when people come in, I can say, hey, look, not that you can do exactly what they're doing, but they can help shepherd you. Man, how amazing would it be for our church, the garden, to be a place where there is spiritual parenting that's starting to happen, where we as moms and dads know how to shepherd our own kids, but then can shepherd others. Because, see, we need to be able to open our doors, invite people in, and whether you're single, whether you're divorced, whether you're in a mess in your family, be able to say, it's okay, because there's this guy named Jesus, and you don't need anybody else. You don't need a PhD. You don't need a master's. You don't need anything. You just need to spend time with him. You notice, I notice over the years, every model that I have, that I've looked to, and they're few, they get very simple. They go, yeah, there's some good practices out there. But at the end of the day, it's about being with Jesus. And if you can integrate that into your life, if He can be the one thing, then I guarantee you, even in the most difficult of family relationships, you can be able to experience life. You will find that you will react in different ways. That when you are struggling with your spouse, rather than reacting out of manipulation, you can react out of love. When your children are driving you nuts, you literally can be empowered to stop and love. When you're broken from a relationship, God can put something in you to begin to pray for them and then watch them be restored. I've had it with my own brother. Years where we were at schisms, praying for him, regretful for ways I had been, and watching God do amazing things in him, and watching him follow Jesus to this day. I would love all of you to experience that. I'd love us as a church to be able to say, hey, when we come to families, we're about one thing. It's about Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you made it simple in so many ways. That, Lord, if we will experience you, we will accept you, we will follow you, Lord, we can become fully alive in our families. And, Lord, I pray, I know in this place right now, that people have walked in. And when I asked, what does family look like to you? That it was not this picture that we just discussed. Lord, I pray, as we move into this next time, a response that, Lord, you would begin to just work on the hearts of us to do restoration, renewal, even those that have been walking with God for a long time to experience you as Father so that we can be who you've called us to be in our families, in our church, and in our communities. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.